You want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in our study of the beautiful attitudes of Jesus with a sermon whose title is Happy Are the Meek. As I grew up in the city, I learned a couple of things very, very quickly. And one of the things you worry, or you worry, uh, one of the things you learn is that you do not mess with the city police department. When you're in a big city, they're kind of big, tough guys. And when I was living with my dad, Kenosha used to use foot patrol in the high crime areas. And we lived in one of those high crime areas. We lived in one of the worst neighborhoods in Kenosha uh, during that time. And the police officers they assigned to the foot patrols, these weren't the small guys. These weren't guys like my height. These were guys that were probably well over six feet tall and just kind of had a permanent frown etched on their face, just really mean looking and intimidating. If these guys walked up to you on the basketball court, and yes, believe it or not, I used to play basketball out on the court with the guys. Um, they told you to go home. It was yes, sir, and you ran home. They cleared the basketball court when they came by. There was absolutely no doubt they were the law. They were the tough guys, and you do not mess with these guys. And as many of you know, I spent the summer in Hayward with my grandparents, and my grandfather was a reserve sheriff's deputy for Sawyer County at that time. Sawyer County uses reserve, reserve sheriff's deputies for vacation, special events, um, sick calls, all that kind of thing to supplement their full-time department. And one of the big events in Hayward every year is something that is called Muskie Festival. Muskie Festival is a week-long event, and people go out all throughout northern Wisconsin, especially the Chippewa Flowage, and try to catch the biggest muskies they can find. And back in Hayward, there's a big festival, carnival kind of atmosphere there for the whole family that has fishing displays, carnivals, games, food, this, that kind of atmosphere. And I was there with my grandfather. He was doing security for that as a reserve deputy. And he introduced me to one of his fellow reserve deputies, a man who was also a full-time Native American police officer on the Lacouture Reservation. And his name was James, or excuse me, Joe Crow. Joe was probably well over six foot five. He weighed well over 300 pounds. This is a gigantically big guy. Very, very intimidating to look at. I remember I was probably 12 years old looking at this guy going, oh my gosh, this guy's huge. And he's very intimidating to look at. But when he started to talk to me, I was really surprised to see just how soft and how gentle his voice was. And it was kind of, it, it kind of threw me for a loop because I'm used to cops being really bold, really in your face, kind of, you will respect my authority kind of, of atmosphere or uh, attitude that they would give you. And Joe was very laid back. He was very nice to people. And I'm thinking to me that he didn't have the right personality to be a cop. And I'm thinking, as a, you know, this 12-year-old kid looking at this guy, it's like, man, if you were back on my block in Kenosha, they'd like eat you for breakfast, you know, you being that nice and soft with everybody. And I also found out as I sat and talked to him, as we sat in the front post there, that, he was a, that Jesus was very important to him. He was a Native American, and yet he, he wore a big cross you know, right here on his uniform and everything. And, I found, and he was talking to me about Jesus and about life on the reservation. And my grandfather and him were at this front post, which is watching, and my grandfather got called away to go take care of some underage drinkers in the beer tent. 
So he left me with Joe at the front post at the main gate where everybody was coming in. And the main gate's responsibility was pretty much just have a law enforcement presence there. So when people came in, they saw it's, it's secure, you know, we're gonna enforce the rules, this is a family event, you know, keep the swearing down, make sure everybody's dressed appropriately, you know, different things like that. So people behave themselves. And as I was sitting there talking to Joe about Native American culture, in rode about 20 different people on motorcycles. And they looked pretty and acted pretty rough right from the get-go. They rode in, it was pretty obvious, they're part of a motorcycle gang. You had men with no shirts or men with that leather jacket or that, that leather vest thing on and nothing under it. The women were wearing less tattoos all over the place. As soon as they got off the bikes and shut them off, you know, they're, they're cussing and they're yelling and different things like that. They got in line to buy tickets and they're intimidating people and they're, they're cussing at them and everything else. And Joe stood up and told me, okay, you stay here in the post. I'm going to go out and talk to those people, let them know that, you know, they need to calm down. So Joe goes out there and in Joe's soft voice, he's, he's just like, hey, you know, this is a family event. You know, you guys are invited to come in. He goes, guys, you got to put, find a shirt to put on. Uh, ladies, you have to cover up some of your things that you need to cover up. And, you know, you got to stop talking like you're talking. You know, we, we want everybody to enjoy this festival with us. And, and one of the guys walks up to Joe, not, probably not the brightest thing to do and probably a very stupid thing to do as I look back on it, walks up to Joe and shoves him backward and says, what are you going to do, chief? Like that at him. Well, Joe, you know, he kind of just knocked him back a little bit. He, he stood back up and, and, and said, look, if you put your hands on me again, I'm going to have to place you under arrest. He goes, again, I'm just asking you to please tone it down. We want you to be able to come in and enjoy the Muskie Festival. But again, we have rules we have to follow so everybody could enjoy it. Well, just then, the same guy committed a mistake in a life that was probably filled with the same type of mistakes and grabbed Joe's uniform like this. Well, things got very real really fast at that point. The first thing that happened was that guy was now on his knees screaming in pain as Joe had his wrist bent back in a very unnatural way. Another guy comes and starts charging toward Joe. Joe front kicks that guy about 10 feet back and he lands on the ground. Another guy start, or two more guys start charging at Joe. Joe jumps about this high in the air with a spinning wheel kick and knocks that guy clean out. The guy falls to the ground and, and the rest of them are kind of like this and Joe just kind of stood back and went like this and said, who's next? They all decided, made the right decision at that point, turned around, ran for their bikes, left their brothers laying on the ground, and left the area. And I'm sitting there going, whoa. I mean, this guy that's so big just jumped up and made Bruce Lee look like a wimp with that kick. I mean, it was just incredible what he was able to do there. And as I'm sitting there and the ambulance come, they haul everybody away, and more police come and they haul everybody away, Joe comes back, sits down like nothing's happened, and starts talking to me about Native American life again. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait a second, Mr. Joe. I said, you just took on like 20 people and scared them away. 
And, and used, obviously, you've had some training in martial arts here. And I said, look, I'm in martial arts. I want to talk about this. I mean, I've been taking Shotokan. I've been taking Shuri Ru and all these Okinawan styles. It goes, you know, I'm like, what style have you been using? And, and what, what was this and that? And, you know, let's talk about this. He goes, you know, John, I really don't want to get into this. He goes, I don't like to talk about my martial arts. It's something that, that means a lot to me, but I don't like to tell people that I'm a black belt in about four different styles of martial arts. He goes, because I'm already big, I'm already huge, I'm already intimidating, and I want people to feel comfortable around me, so I don't talk about it that much. I like talking about Jesus, I like talking about Native American stuff, you know, that, those are my passions. I, I really want to make sure that people aren't scared of me. And Joel Crow emulated to me one of the beautiful attributes of Jesus that I want to talk to you about this morning, and that is meekness. To put meekness into the perspective of what Jesus was trying to teach us in his beautiful attitudes, we have to consider what came before this verse that we're going to read today, because these beautiful attitudes build on one another. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. And now Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 5, says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's pray. Father God. I ask, Lord, that you just take this attribute that is so foreign to our culture, so foreign to our world and even our American way of life, and use it to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. Use it to judge how we even view the world. And help us to emulate this most important attitude of yours, because this attitude is really going to show the world exactly who is in charge of our hearts. Lord, I ask that you do this through this message today. In your name, amen. Early in my Christian walk, I went out and I did a lot of door-to-door -door street evangelism. We had an actual team at Lakeshore, which is our first church. And one of my first times out, someone asked me, if I could tell them how you could tell a person was a Christian. And I was really new to the faith, so I started into this really long, convoluted, confusing answer that just seemed to take forever and say absolutely nothing. And I know you're probably looking at me saying, well, John, you do that every Sunday. <laughs> but if I were to have a chance to answer that same question today, I would boil it down to this question is, does that person exhibit a sense of meekness in his spirit? So let's begin by defining this word meek in the Bible. Because right now we probably all have a mental picture in our heads of what meekness should mean and meekness should look like in a person. But the English language really doesn't have a word that really translates well from the Greek emphasis that Jesus was using here into English. So let's here start by saying here what meekness is not. Meekness is not, is not weakness. Meek does not equal weak. And I have a little confession. I can't stand weak men. I have a problem when, when men are weak in front of me or when they act more effeminate than most women that I know. I don't like men who fall apart as soon as some type of stress enters their life or, or men that get blown over by even the slightest wind of adversity. And I admit that, that my upbringing probably colors my perception of that a bit, but for some reason it's just 
rubs me the wrong way. And I had that initial thought about Joel. I thought, we have this huge guy who wears a badge, and he's kind of a wimp. I mean, I can't believe how much how soft he is, and, and even when he was dealing with those bikers, how soft-spoken he was. I mean, if you just would have put some bass in his voice, they might have listened to him. But, you know, instead it, it seemed to cause a problem, and, and that was what, what, what was in the back of my head as I was watching that. But then I found out that this was a man who could literally tear me limb from limb if he so desired, but he was so interested in, making, in showing people Jesus that he put all that aside and allowed himself to be gentle and kind to people. And that's why meek doesn't automatically equal weak. That's what our culture would try to tell us. Our culture would try to tell us, stand up and get yours. It doesn't matter how many people you need to step on. It doesn't matter who you have to hurt in order to, to get your dreams fulfilled. It doesn't matter what you have to do. Your whole job in life is to make as much money as you can, own as many possessions as you can, fulfill your dreams, no matter the cost to others, who you have to step on, or even the cost to yourself. And that is why pride is the opposite of meekness. And pride is one of the worst of the, all of the human attitudes, because pride is the thing that leads you into sin. It's the root of all sin. However, saying all that, meekness is not just about being a doormat. It's not about letting others walk all over you or just being a passive wimp. And I've come to learn that meekness is great strength under firm control. Amen. When Tammy and I went to the Northern Wisconsin State Fair, well, they had some of the Clydesdale draft horses there. Have you ever like, been next to a Clydesdale draft horse? These things are huge. These things are monstrous. I mean, it just makes you feel small. They're over seven feet tall. They literally weigh over 2,000 pounds. That's a ton. That's an animal that weighs a ton. And you just feel very small standing next to them. And I got to talk to one of the owners, that, and they said that as big as they are, you would think they'd be the most stubborn of horses, but they're not. They're actually, of all the horse breeds, one of the most easy to train. One of the most least, um, least excitable and least scared of all the horses. And she said that she thinks that it comes from being so big and so huge that they have very few natural predators. And they don't have to live in fear of anything because they are the biggest animal out there. It doesn't even matter if two or three wolves would come against them. They would just stomp them into the ground. They don't have anything to fear. And let's apply that to what Jesus is saying here. He said, happy are those who are meek. What Jesus is saying here is that if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, you have the biggest, baddest warrior ever standing behind you in Jesus. Not only is he standing behind you, but Jesus fills you with himself and freely gives you his power to face your fears, face your enemies, and face every challenge that life throws before you. It's like that song written by Chris Tomlin that we sing that says, I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one that reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. And God gives us his power. He gives us his strength. He gives us his presence. 
But his power, his strength, and his presence needs to be used appropriately. And that's what we talk about, that it's great strength under great restraint. As I was preparing this message, I had to go out to our SUV, and I noticed something. Our speedometer goes up to 140 miles an hour. Do you know that? <laughs> yeah, 140 miles an hour. Uh-huh. Now, I haven't tested it yet. And I definitely wouldn't do it with Tammy in a car. But I was thinking that my 40-minute drive to work could take less than 20 minutes if I just released the entire full power of that engine in that car. I was thinking that as I got on the, inter uh, got on the interstate yesterday morning to go to Black River, how much power I still had under the gas pedal when I hit 75 to get on the interstate. And I'm thinking, I should just open this thing up. I know there's no cops out here yet. And, you know, I know I, I, know I have at least a mile and a half before the first turnaround where they could take radar. I could probably want to see how fast this thing can go. Now, I didn't do it. I, I restrained myself. And I set the cruise to obey the speed limit. Even though I had the horsepower available to me to go faster, the law set the speed limit to 70. And that's what being meek is. It's understanding that even though you have this great strength available to you, you choose to check that strength for the benefit of others. And most importantly, you check your strength for the reputation of the one that you claim to worship. That's what being meek is. And when it comes to driving fast, to keep my wife happy. That defines meekness. Let's look at the value of it in our lives. At our first church, for a period of time, we had a visiting speaker who had another, who had another church here in the state. And he had a revival starting in his church, and he came to our church on Sunday nights. And our pastor at the time was very revival-oriented, very into church growth, very into kind of the Brownsville movement that was going on, and trying to replicate that in our church. And and, that, and the guy who came was somebody who had studied un, in, under that whole thing. And, and he was very, very gifted in what he was doing. And I remember the first time I heard him speak, I was just like, wow, he is just an incredible speaker. I was just awed at how God was using him. I mean, he was, he was very outgoing. He had this hugely magnetic personality, very gifted and dynamic speaker. But then I attended a pre-service leadership prayer and planning meeting with him. And very quickly as I got to know him, I had a check in my spirit. And I didn't even know as a fairly new Christian, just starting to enter into the ministry, if, if this was something accurate within myself. But I just felt something about him that just didn't sit right with me. Because his manner and his personality was in, behind closed doors was very condescending. And it was very demeaning and... and very, very kind of standoffish to people that he didn't consider it his level of anointing. His persona on stage wasn't matching up with what I saw when I was alone with him and a few other leaders. He had a lot of pride in his abilities, a lot of pride in his church's growth, and a lot of pride in his following, and it seemed to be his driving force um, rather than being like Jesus. And our church continued to have him for a little while as a guest speaker. 
And we heard less and less about Jesus and more and more about his spiritual anointing and how to get more of it and, and how God was going to use you and, and different things like that. And there, for a while there was even talk about us becoming one of his satellite churches under his ministry and, and, uh, and not being an independent church anymore. But then the scandal hit. This man was caught having affairs with women in his church. And he fell out of the ministry. Now I ask you, what led to that? Pride. Pride is the opposite of meek. Pride seeks to promote your needs and wants, while meekness lays down your needs and wants for the benefit of others. That's the eternal value of meekness. That your abilities and the strengths that God has given you are being harnessed by God so that you can be channeled in the right way, so that they can go out into the world and refresh the world and bring blessing to the world and bring life to the world. It's kind of like you're the, uh, the big water tower right behind the high school over here. And there's a conduit coming out of that, that water tower that splits off into two different um, pipes. On the left... There's a pipe that goes out into the world and you look at this pipe and it's corroded, it's rusty, it's got some holes in it. Water flows through it and like leaks and contamination goes in there. So the water that gets down to the people is not pure, it's contaminated and in the end is going to make people sick. That's a person who is operating in pride and operating in a way that, that isn't pleasing to God. But over here on the right, you have this pipe that is pure it is clean it is it is absolutely intact and all the water from there is nourishing people it's bringing life it's bringing wellness it's bringing just a sense of health to everybody it comes in contact with and that is how we operate um, if we're going if we practice this attribute of meekness and the pipe on the right is the only one that is going to bring you an eternal reward. Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to read it from the Living Bible. It says that no one ever lay a or any other real foundation than the one that is, we already have, which is Jesus Christ. But there are other kinds of materials that can be used to build on that foundation. Some use gold and silver and jewels, but some build with sticks and hay or even straw. There's going to come a time of testing at Christ's judgment day to see what kind of material each builder has used. Everyone's work will be put through the fire so that all we can, so all can see whether or not it keeps its value and what was really accomplished. Then every workman who is built on the foundation with the right materials and whose work still stands will get his pay. But if the house he has built burns up, he will have great loss. He himself will be saved, but it will be like a man escaping through a wall of flames. I personally would hate to think of how much of my life and work for Christ will burst into flames on that day. Things I've done out of pride, things I've done out of wrong motives. But I know that as I let the Holy Spirit develop this beautiful attitude of Jesus within me, 
that my offering to God in this life will be an appreciation for what my Savior has done for me, and it will survive that judgment. It will survive that flame and be a beautiful gift to, to lay at the feet of Jesus. That leads us to our last point, which is the reward of meekness. We look at the reward at the judgment seat of Christ, but there's a reward that we can have every day, and that is the character of Jesus Christ being shown through us. You know, we can try to build the church through advertising. We can try to build the church through outreaches. We can try to do giveaways or provide services to help our community. I think all these are good, and they should be done, but nothing, nothing will grow this church like all of us showing people Jesus and how we live our lives. None of us will grow this church if we don't show the attitude that Jesus wants us to show. If we show the attitude of Jesus and how we approach difficulty, people will be drawn to Jesus. People will want to know about Jesus. Jesus himself promised when he is lifted up, he will draw all men onto himself. So we all need to lift up Jesus in our lives. We need to allow him to discipline our hearts and our souls and our mind and our spirits so that what is flowing out of us will bring great glory to him and not us. Secondly, there's a second part of this verse that says, for they will inherit the earth. That is a promise of our God. The last chapter of the Bible speaks of a new heaven and a new earth. God wipes away every vestige of evil from his creation. And at that point, you will inherit this new creation. But God will not give this creation to a person who is not completely surrendered to him. He can't. You know, you and I, the world would teach us that you and I were designed to be free moral agents. But that is not true. That's not the way humanity was created. Humanity was not designed to live apart from an outside source of strength, an outside source of, of morality and influence or power. Our created nature is one that needs a power source. And which outlet you plug into determines the course of your life. If you plug into God, you're going to know and you're going to enjoy great blessing. You're going to know and enjoy great joy. You'll have the endless blessing of God upon your life as you live for him and then walk into eternity with, a, with so much that the Bible says that eye cannot see nor ear cannot hear what, or mind cannot comprehend what God has in store for us. However, if you choose to plug into one of the world's power sources, which is really plugging into Satan's, you're going to reap destruction. But if you're meek enough, someday you'll be judged on how much you allow God to develop meekness in you. And that will be the deciding factor in what governs our reward and perhaps even your salvation. Let's all rise. There's a verse in the Bible that is one of those verses that causes me to lose sleep sometimes when I think about it with my head's on the pillow. And it really causes me to evaluate 
my relationship with God and my motives for doing things. And it's found in Matthew 7, 21. And I'm again reading from the Living Bible translation. Jesus said, not all those who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't get to heaven. For the decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you and we used your name to cast out demons and do many other great miracles. But I will reply, you have never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. The deciding factor here was meekness. Who controls your strength today? Who controls the thoughts and attitudes of your heart? Because unless they are surrendered to Jesus, you are in danger of what Jesus is saying here in Matthew. Meekness judges the source of our thoughts, the sources of our attitudes, and is a deciding factor of our actions. So I would ask you today and challenge you, are you living and serving and glorifying you, or are you living, serving, and glorifying Jesus? Jesus.